Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Caught Red Podcast. As always, we are your host. I am Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. And if you don't already know by now, we're just two dog lovers here to talk about true crime and horror and also our little fur nuggets. I got Mowgli right here. Oh, he's great. He's great. He's great. Get it. Get it. Thank you for those who have interacted with us on Instagram. We've gotten some new movies to add to our ever-growing list. Not to mention the post that Jesse put up about like how he would die in a horror movie. I'm sorry for everyone that gets taken out by angry chipmunks. I'm sorry for all the notifications you got while you were working I Sunday, know, my too. Buzz, 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 buzz. I didn't think that was going to be such a hit, but it was. I loved it. It was funny to see all the combinations. Let's see. What all have we watched lately? We watched the... Um, Wretched. Wretched, yes. Ooh. That was a good recommendation from Jill. Yeah, she put it in Instagram. her Mount Rushmore, right? Yes. Holy yeah. shit, that was good. I really liked it. I got to work on Sunday and I was like, Dad, you got to watch this trailer. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm down. But I don't know if Mama can see it. She might have to have like the covers no ready way. to pull she up. She ain't going to watch that. Well, she could be in the room. Close. Bye. Maybe. I don't know. If y'all haven't seen it, it involves a really nasty witch. It's on Netflix. We also started The Watcher. Netflix as well. I was really pumped for it, but then very disappointed. It's kind of slow, huh? Yeah, like I don't want to harp on it too bad, but for those who haven't seen it, it feels like it's just really drawn out. And like Jesse will need to listen to like the story it's based off of because I think that's way creepier than them like you said, drawing it out. I think we only got to like episode four and I was like, eh, I don't really know if I feel like finishing it. Then we started The Curse of Bridge Hollow also on Netflix. So I feel like we're plugging Netflix right now. I fell asleep in that one. Though. I did too, but it was funny when it started. I did like the, I did like it so far. It was just way too late at night because we're old. I'm down to finish it later or start it over at least. Yeah, me too. Uh, you watched Mr. Harrington's phone? Harrington's phone? How was that? Harrington's phone? Something like that. Yeah, you watched that one. I liked one. it. Yeah, it was cool. And then uh, we also need to watch Dog Soldiers. That that it was on another person's list of movies. It's done by the same guy who does The Descent. And then Doomsday, which is another one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm down to watch that sometime too. So it seems like a pretty productive week for us. I also read Ashley Flowers' book, The Lady That Does Crime Junkie. It's called All Good People Here, and I really liked it. It took me just like two nights pretty much to finish it. I read it really quickly. Okay, bragger. Well, now this one might take me a little bit more time, but I'm reading The Demonologist, The Extraordinary Careers of Ed and Lauren Warren. Ooh. Yes. Conjuring? Uh, yes, those those tops, yes. So if y'all have any creepy or crime books whether they're true or or not send them my way like i don't already have like a big ass stack of books on our dresser to read oh well <laughs> but i do find a lot of good finds on facebook i'm on i'm in this group called a uh, crime junkie book exchange and i've gotten a really like a bunch of really good deals through that one too it's just a bunch of people that have books that they're done reading they just sit around they sell them for cheap so if y'all are interested in that look it up you cool. got anything else to add? Anything crazy on your end? I don't. 
All right. Oh. Well, it is Jesse's turn to entertain us this week with a little true crumbs, so I'm going to shut up and let him have it. So mm. whenever you're ready, love. Okay. Our sources for this case are ForensicMag.com, Alaska.gov, AlaskaPublic.org, MamaMia.com, Anchorage Daily News, People Magazine, and K2.org. On May 4th, 1996, Jessica Baggin had just celebrated her 17th birthday at her sister's house, which was less than a mile from her parents' house where Jessica lived. It was just after midnight when she would make the decision to walk that short trip home, and she would never be seen alive again after that night. Oh. Now, Jessica lived in Sitka, Alaska, a town so quiet that there was a joke about the type of crimes the local police dealt with. They would say, a frozen teddy bear being hurled out a window, <laughs> or residents playing croquet too loudly after midnight were crimes they had to deal with. One resident said that the show Cops would be completely different around Sitka. So a murder case would be pretty overwhelming for these local officers. Sitka is located on the west side of Baranoff Island and the south half of Chichagoff Island. It is only accessible by boat or plane wow. due to this. That's like my friend Elisa that she used to work with us growing up. She was teaching here in Arkansas and then found out that she can be paid a hell of a lot more without taxes in Alaska. And she's she did that the last year. And that's how she can get to her location is only by plane. So oh, if she wow. has a doctor's appointment or take the... They had a little husky mix pup that wandered up to him last year to take her to the vet, anything like that. They have to schedule flights out. That's really cool, though. Yeah, and they say all the kids ride their smo- uh, snowmobiles. Snowmobiles. I couldn't get it out. Yeah. To, yeah. To vehicles, class. they're usually brought to Sitka via the Alaska Marine Highway Ferry System or the barge, but vehicles aren't really even a necessity mm-hmm. there because there's only. 14 miles of road from one end of the island to the other. Wow. Everything's within walking distance from the downtown area, which is where the majority of employers are located. It's famous for its fishing, both commercial and recreational, and it is the sixth largest port by value of seafood in the U.S. Wow. Jessica was from a well-off family there who ran a shipping company, she was the daughter of George and Vicki Baggin, and she was one of four close sisters. Her family described her as a spunky girl who didn't give up easily, who loved being outdoors, and that was common for Sitka kids growing up. They were known to be tough, loved being outside. You would have to be up there. Yeah, you couldn't handle it. No. So cold. Oh, God. <laughs> and her family told a story about Jessica that you're going to love. So she's got a dog named Sam, and Sam went missing, and she refused to give up searching for him. And weeks later, as she and a friend were setting up camp to continue the search, Sam showed up out of nowhere, tired, hungry, just ready to be home. And we can relate to that. I mean... Breeze. Breeze being gone for eight days. You went to go to work and I would go outside at like freaking midnight and I'd go searching around calling his name going across the street to 
Rachel's house there. And, yeah, putting out flyers. Mm-hmm. And then the time we, well, the time you found Baxter. Hannah oh, and yeah. JJ's. That was by a sheer dumb luck. Yeah, you were just driving down the road and you saw... A little, a little black dog with a I, white belly. I stopped for my Jeep right in the middle of the street, too, and I got out and I started running after him. You left the door open and everything. I was like, I'm on it, and I got him. Oh, And you had torn your ACL, so you couldn't even Yeah, it was like, what, run. 30 degrees outside, oh, and yeah. I was just hobbling along. <laughs> but yeah, Jessica, she had Sam, so got to love that already. Mm-hmm. She also enjoyed uh, family fishing outings, and you could often find her on the water with her skiff. She loved photography and cooking, and she was considering a career in one of the two. She really enjoyed cooking for her camp family while listening to Willie Nelson. Hey. Hey. And according to her parents, she loved to laugh and tease. She was independent and had a free spirit, and she was adventurous, too, flying all the way to Japan to visit one of her friends. Cool. Now, I mentioned that Sika was a safe place to live and grow up, the kind of place where you don't have to worry about locking your doors. Walking home was no crazy thing to do. And in the early morning hours of May 4th, 1996, Jessica left her sister's place where they had been celebrating her 17th birthday. She had a curfew which was much earlier, but her parents allowed her to stay a little longer, being that it was her birthday birthday. after all. Her friend, who I'll later identify as Officer Tugman's son, offered to drive her home, but she insisted that she would walk. And I think we we came to the conclusion that it was either Jacob or Josh as his name. I think so. We did an extensive Facebook research on him. (laughs) We were digging. And it was less than a 20-minute walk. In this path, she had taken hundreds of times, one that most people would say is heavily trafficked path, and it wouldn't be scary to take at night either. She would follow that path, which ran through the Sitka National Historic Park between her sister's home, which was on Sawmill Creek Road, and her parents' home, which was on Barlow Street. But she would never make it home. That's so sad. And her parents would would find her room empty in the morning after they woke up, and they'd quickly begin to worry. They spent the whole day calling friends, looking everywhere for her, and retracing the path that they thought might have been the path that she would mm-hmm. take, but just no luck. And they filed a police report with the Sitka Police Department. On May 6th, police began their search in the wooded area between Sheldon Jackson College, which was right there in between the woods and the Sawmill Creek Road. They found a shirt that Jessica's parents would confirm was Jessica's. Then, less than two hours later, Jessica's naked body was found close to 70 feet off the bike path. To not far. It was really close, yeah. That's horrible. She was buried in a hollowed-out area under a fallen tree. Near the Indian River Bridge, so it, I'm sure it was hard to find if she was kind of buried under some leaves and stuff. But most of her clothes, including socks and a dark green leather jacket, were also found nearby. And her bracelet was found on another trail, kind of leading off the main trail. Maybe she dropped it. Yeah, maybe. Autopsy 
would later show that she had been brutally raped and strangled. The cause of death was either strangulation or asphyxiation. The killer had shoved dirt and leaves down her throat to either, I assume, suffocate her or keep her quiet. Mm -hmm. And her eyes were black, suggesting she had been struck across the face. And a small bone in her neck had been damaged also. And what I found strange was there were also these parallel dirt markings on her back that no one could determine what they came from. So it kind of looked like she had been laid down on some type of object, maybe a truck bed or a grate. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. But the manner in which she was killed was held back from the public for years. I don't don't blame them. Yeah. I don't know if it was because of the manner of how bad it was or because they wanted to test potential suspects of the knowledge of the crime. I'm thinking it was that. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Mom's going to hate this. Yeah, she is. I feel like Jessica was not concerned about taking this path. I mean, she otherwise she would have accepted that ride home, right? Mm-hmm. Being so late. So I don't think she was worried about it at all. Seems like she had done it hundreds of times, I'm right? I'm sure she had if her sister's there and her parents are there. And literally... literally Right across the street was a police academy, like training academy there, right across the street. Damn. And it's right next to the college, so I'm sure people travel that path often because Sawmill Creek Road's one of those roads that everybody goes on. Mm-hmm. And you got to think, if, if someone is going to murder someone on this island, too, there's not going to be very many places for them to hide. I mean, you can't just drive off in a car to another town, right? Yeah, you got to get you, on a boat and leave. Makes you wonder how they even got away with it without being seen. Right. I mean, because it was well lit. I mean, the only thing they had to their advantage was that it was late at night, I guess. That was still ballsy, though. I mean, college kids, we wandered all the time to library, whatnot, all, all hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you got to think either he parked his vehicle on Sawmill Creek Road there, got out after seeing her, like, walking into the mm-hmm. wooded path and then followed after her, or he either was, like, walking the opposite direction and crossed paths with her. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Hmm. But hearing of the murder, this shocked the entire small town, which was 8,000 people. And again, this... This kind of thing just doesn't happen there. One local said, A stranger raping and murdering a vibrant teenager was so far out of bounds of what happens here. So people were so scared of wildlife in the woods, not humans. Only if they heard something crackling. Oh, what is that? Yeah, right. Kids had felt safe and spent their free time outdoors, fishing, playing sports. Well, not anymore. There was a killer among them, and people were being extra cautious now. The town, they all gathered together. Uh, More than 1,500 people showed up to a candlelight vigil in the park where her body was found, and they stood in silence for an hour. There's this this bridge over Indian River that goes across through the path, and they all stood there and put candlelights. That's sweet. That's a still, that's a... Pretty big chunk of their population, 1,500 out of 8,000. Yeah. Wow. Dave Tugman 
was an investigator with the Sitka Police Department, and he was the first assigned to this case. Two troopers with the Criminal Investigation Bureau were at the training academy in Sitka the same day, teaching a class on evidence collection, so that was... Convenient. Yeah, convenient. And the troopers assisted Tugman in collecting every possible piece of evidence they could find. And this was a tough task considering the path was a cut through for the college kids. So you got cigarettes and cans littering the path. Mm -hmm. They did find, so the killer's blood and semen was collected at the crime scene, though. Blood being on her blouse Mm -hmm. and then semen, of course, being inside her. Ugh. And they also found five red or reddish blonde pubic hairs. So their focus now was men with red hair. Damn gingers. <laughs> yeah. But nearly every male that, that had connection to Jessica or was known to be near the scene on the night was the night she was killed was a suspect in her death, including Tugman's son, who, you know, was at the party, one of the last people to see Jessica, offered a ride. He left about 15 minutes after Jessica did, and they had to check him out as a suspect. Mm-hmm. You know, His face showed absolute horror and disbelief when they told him the news of her death. God, I which, could imagine. Yeah. Another officer collected his DNA because I assume his father couldn't be involved in that. No. Right? And just like every other suspect so far, it wasn't a match. Then nine days after they found Jessica's body a man came forward to confess to the sexual assault and murder. This man's name was Richard Bingham. 34-year-old Richard Bingham was a local resident who lived on a boat. He worked as a janitor at the college. He had intellectual deficiencies, and he had a pretty bad drinking problem, which isn't a very good combination. And he was also very gullible. Oh, no. Yeah. I see where this is going, Yeah, so his so-called friends, you know, they would always play tricks on him, telling him that he had committed these small crimes that they saw in the news while he was drunk when he really hadn't committed those crimes. (laughs) Assholes. But he would always believe them, and according to one story, he was told that he stole salmon from a fish processing company He showed up to that place with another salmon to try and make amends, only to find out that he had never stolen anything. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I don't know if I call those friends. I'm just saying. That's right. So-called friends in parentheses. Quote, unquote. After Jessica had been discovered, someone thought it'd be a good idea to tell Bingham that he might have done the killing, which is a crime much worse than stealing a fish. And within days, Bingham went down to the police station and turned himself in. He told them that he was having disturbing dreams and flashbacks. He also told them that maybe he had blacked out from being so drunk and killed her without knowing it. He couldn't describe, though, what clothing the victim had been wearing that night, nor could he recall any details like stuffing soil down her throat to kill her. He also said that He saw her walking across campus in a black dress, which wasn't what she was wearing that night. Bingham was interrogated using the Reed technique, which is a method that has been criticized for leading to false confessions, especially in young people and those with intellectual disabilities. So it's basically in an interrogation as like an accusatory process in which the investigator tells the suspect 
that the results of the investigation clearly indicate that they did commit the crime in question. So basically, you're trying to convince the person that they're guilty and get them to confess. And he ended up signing a confession, and he even did a a video demonstration of how he choked the victim. In his signed statement, he said that he came up behind her and choked her. He said he had sexual intercourse with her, and he buried the body. It just, I don't know. What? It sounds to me like it was coerced a little bit. Well, he was a, he already had a false state of mind because his friends were like, bro, you did that. So, of course, he's going to just rely on them to lead him down the mm-hmm. path. That it had been nine days since she was found, so I assume, you know, word had gotten out around there of most of the details, you know, so mm-hmm. someone could have planted that story in his head. Yes. Right? Yeah. I agree with that. Investigators, though, they checked out his boat where he had lived, and there was a poster of a naked female model on his wall over his bed by the name of Jessica. So they thought maybe he had fixated on that and wanted his own Jessica. I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that. That's Watch that's Roger Rabbit and just look at Jessica Rabbit and then be happy, okay? <laughs> Let's not go stealing Jessicas off the street. Yeah. He ended up spending 13 months in jail. Did they not test him, his DNA? They just well, took I'm, his... I'm getting there, Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Proceed. <laughs> so he was in isolation at first, and then he ended up having to go with other prisoners who ended up targeting him, you know? Yep. And at the trial, Bingham's lawyer, Galen Payne, brought... That's a cool name. Galen <laughs> Payne. Yeah. Brought in an expert in false confessions... He played back the police interrogation video, and then someone from the state crime lab also testified that the DNA found at the crime scene was not a match. And he also had an alibi. Three people said Bingham had been drinking beer with them at the time of the crime was committed. So even though he confessed to the crime, the jurors, after two hours, came to the conclusion that he was not guilty. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I don't think it was him. Bingham's trial was, it was actually moved to Juneau because of the difficulty of finding an impartial jury in Sitka. I mean, everybody there would say he was guilty. And his lawyer drove him straight to the airport after the trial because he was worried that he might get attacked if he went back home. Poor guy. So he, he basically started a new life in Washington. Back to square one for the Jessica Bagging case, so... The same year that Bingham went to trial, which was 1997, another man went on trial for a different crime. A man named Steve Branch, 42 years of age, so a teary-eyed 18-year-old girl in March of 1996, two months before Jessica's death, reported that a local mechanic, Steve Branch, had raped her. After the rape was reported to the police, officers asked the teenager to get Branch to confess on a recorded call, but he didn't admit to anything there. That didn't work. How terrifying is that for that girl? For an 18-year-old girl, yeah. Oh, hey, we're not going to do the legwork. You should get it. Yeah. What? Well, it took him until June to arrest him, too. He went on trial for the sexual assault. He claimed the encounter was consensual and was acquitted. Yeah, 42-year-old... With an 18-year-old. What was she like? Hey, fix my car for free. Yeah. No. 
what blows my mind is he was never even considered a suspect in Jessica's rape and murder. I mean, he would have immediately jumped to the top of my list right there. Yes. Two, he had some two of months before, with another sexual allegation case for a teenage girl around the same age as Jessica. I don't know why they, why didn't they just test his DNA right then and there? They may not have collected it for that. I don't know. Not to mention he was a redhead. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I mean, uh, come on. The, well, the red just, pubes right there. You I mean. said from the beginning this is not the kind of stuff they True. deal with. And they're, they're, they were probably blinded by the Bingham guy. They probably thought he was 100% oh, the guy. Yeah, tunnel vision. Well, Investigator Tugman worked the case until he left the Sitka police about a year and a half later to take a job in the lower 48. This case had taken just a big toll on him, and he said he must have talked to Jessica's family every day until he left. He said her dad was always helpful, always appreciative. He would even pay out of his own pocket for DNA samples hmm. that were volunteered to be done to compare to the killer's. Less than a decade later, Tugman returned to Alaska to join the ranks of the Alaska State Troopers. Hell yeah, I used to love watching that show, Alaska State Troopers. What was that on? Like Discovery, I think. Okay. And it, literally, it was kind of like their version of cops up there. That's and they cool. would follow I'd be down them to around. watch that. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was like one of the few channels at my grandparents' house that came in, so I was like, yeah. <laughs> In 2007, so he was a lieutenant at this time, he was put in charge of the cold case investigation unit. Yeah. So that would be cool, too. So, of course, he brought Jessica's case into the captain's office to review right, right away. The case was assigned to an investigator, Tim Hunyer, of the Department of Public Safety, and he had served many years as an Alaska state trooper as well. He basically started from scratch on this case. He, he flew down to Sitka to collect the Sitka police report, evidence from the case, conduct some interviews. He, inter he re-interviewed past suspects, even tracking down Richard Bingham. Huh. Yeah, and according to Tim Hunyard, there, there were a few times when they were certain that they found the guy. They'd fly down to interview a suspect and collect DNA, and every time the DNA would not be a match. Mm. Then they'd just have to start over with someone else. Back to the drawing board. In 2011, Hunyer retired, and Tugman retired a year after that. Tugman would say, I was a cop for 31 years. Every retired officer seems to have that one case that they can't let go, that just haunts them. This was mine. I still wake up wondering what I missed. The case stayed with the cold case investigation unit, and in 2013, Randy McFerrin was hired to take over Jessica's case. However, the first case he would preside over was a 1997 Sandra Perry murder case. He would end up successfully convicting her killer in 2014. Good job. Yeah, but due to budget restrictions the unit was put to rest in 2015 before he could do anything with the Jessica case damn it yeah but the unit was picked back up in 2017 well okay yeah and they hired back McFerrin you got me on a roller coaster now <laughs> right 
he did such a great job on this Sandra Perry case that, you know, they'd hire him back on and let's, let's get it. And even with all the dead ends over the years, Jessica's murder was still an important case 21 years later. And McFerrin read about a cold case dating back to the 1980s that was solved in Washington using genetic genealogy. Yes, please. This was the first time it had been used to find a killer. And then the Golden State Killer was caught just a few months later using genetic genealogy as well. And genetic genealogy is the combination of genetic analysis with traditional historical and genealogical research to study family history. For forensic investigations, it can be used to identify remains by tying the DNA to a family with a missing person or to point to the likely identity of a perpetrator. Very cool. So by comparing the DNA sample to a database of DNA from volunteer participants, Mm -hmm. it is possible to determine whether there are any relatives of the DNA sample in the database and how closely related they are. That is so cool. Yeah, they can just narrow down a suspect list dramatically compared to what they could before. So McFerrin thought, you know, let's try using this genetic genealogy for some of our cold cases. I mean, what else did they have to lose? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he had cases cold 20-plus years. So he contacted this Parabon Nanolabs to find out more on how it worked and to submit a case. And Jessica's case wasn't the first case that McFerrin would send in. Instead, he sent in a Sophie Sergi case for the trial because there was more forensic evidence in this case. And if this ended up being a success, then he would for sure send in more, including Jessica's. Okay. And sure enough, the Sophie Sergi case gets solved. Yes. So with the help of the new Lieutenant Lance Jameson Ewers of the Sitka Police Department, they filled out the paperwork on behalf of the Sitka Police Department. They worked with the Alaska State Crime Lab to determine if the appropriate forensic evidence was available for the process. And Jessica's killer's profile was submitted in September 2018. Yeah, September 2018. Parabon successfully developed a single nucleotide polymorphism profile. Call that SMP. (laughs) Look at you. You didn't think I could pronounce that? I've been real impressed by all your pronunciations today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they developed that for the suspect DNA. The profile was uploaded into the GED match database, where several matches to individuals in the database who shared small amounts of genetic information with the suspect were found. Patsy Busby, who was a, yeah, that's a heck of a name too. Busby. She was a Parabon genealogist and a criminal intelligence analyst. Whoa, I want that job. Right? That's cool. That's very cool. She began checking out a very complex family tree, searching for any ties to Alaska among thousands, thousands of people genetically linked to the killer. They spent months going through this family tree, tracing it all the way back to the 1850s to one ancestral couple. I mean, that took some time. I mean, this involved calling people to see if they were willing to help answer any questions. And the majority of the time, you know, they'd just get hung up on saying it was kind of an invasion of privacy. Or they think it's a scam call of some kind. Yeah. 
But luckily, one person didn't hang up. And that person actually helped Busby identify many family members and even reached out to another family member who was elderly to make their genetic profile public in order to help the troopers find which of their relatives killed Jessica. So this was a massive step in the case, and it would ultimately lead them to Steve Branch in 2019. That's so irritating. And you remember who Steve Branch was, obviously, right? Yes. Yeah. Crazy. He was He's 66 years old now. He's probably like up the street or some shit like that. And then for well, years. For 15 years he was. He lived in Sitka 15 years after the murder. And then he moved to Austin, Arkansas. Great. Which is such a random place for him to relocate. I mean, what? I mean, that's a little town in Arkansas. That's our Arkansas connection, guys. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> And records also showed that at one point he had lived at an address on Sawmill Creek Road. So there's that. In January 2020, McFerrin reached out to the Arkansas State Police. Their goal was to retrieve some sort of DNA sample secretly, whether it be from a cigarette or a used cup, mm -hmm. anything. And while Arkansas police worked on that, McFerrin would investigate Branch also. And obviously, Branch, he was in Alaska during the time of Jessica's murder because he was involved in that other case. And Arkansas police, well, they had no luck retrieving a sample from Branch, unfortunately. It was during COVID pandemic, so he wasn't really leaving the house much. Oh, I didn't think about that. I was like, how can they not get, oh. Yeah. yeah. They didn't suspect that he was like onto them or anything. They just think he was already kind of a homebody and then add the pandemic on top of that. Yeah. Well, it took the Sitka Police Department about three weeks to find a sample from one of Branch's relatives in the meantime. The Alaska State Crime Lab was able to generate a profile and send it to Parabon for kinship analysis. And in May of 2020, they reported back with some really good news. It was determined that the collected DNA had a very close kinship to the DNA collected back in 1996 from the crime scene. Now, the COVID pandemic put a delay on the Alaska troopers being able to travel to Arkansas to interview Branch until August of 2020. Mm. Like, just go right away. Just fucking go. Get down there. But, no. On August 3rd, Investigators found Branch at his home and questioned him. Branch said he didn't know Jessica. He said he didn't remember hearing about the sexual assault and murder that happened in the small town, and he refused to provide the investigators with a sample of DNA. Investigators were like, that's fine. We'll, we'll be we'll, back. We'll come back with a warrant and seize that DNA. Well, about 30 minutes after they left, Branch got into his pickup truck drove to a secluded part of his property, and shot himself. Local authorities investigated his death and ruled it a suicide. What a coward. Yeah. But investigators had secured the warrant and were able to collect his DNA at the autopsy. Mm -hmm. The forensic evidence was sent to the Ar uh, Alaska Crime Lab for DNA analysis, which would confirm that Branch was the source of the DNA found on Jessica. 
On August 10th, the chief of Sitka Police Department knocked on Jessica's parents' door 24 years after the death of her daughter. They let them know that they found their daughter's killer and that he took his own life. They never forgot about Jessica in Alaska. and That's wonderful. Her cold case was finally over. I'm glad that, you know, they never really gave up, did they? No. And Branch may never face a jury of his peers, but the case is solved. And then right after that, Sitka had another candlelight vigil that was held for her. So that's that's nice. I just can't imagine getting that knock after, you said 24 years. 24 years. Oh, well, I'm so glad for them. I also found out, so it was obvious that it was Steve Branch, right? I mean. From the get-go. I found out that he had divorced with his wife in 1996, which may have triggered something in him, or he was always that crazy person, and his wife just finally had enough of him. I don't know. Was it? I wonder if he did more than just those two girls, because that seems so random to escalate from just a rape to rape and murder. Right. Or was the murder an accident because she was screaming or she was fighting back. So maybe he just is a rapist and then that happened. And then he was like, shit, I got to get out of here. I was wondering if it was a victim of opportunity or what. Mm -hmm. I feel like all these cases involve a teenage girl or young woman. That's why mom hates being left dead in a ditch somewhere. Ugh. There's horrible people in the world. And you wonder why we always say dogs over people. All day. But the Sitka police, I mean, they gave it their all. They did well. They focused on that nonstop. I mean, considering there weren't many murder cases over the years to deal with, you know, they could put all their time and energy to it. And then the genetic genealogy, that stuff's awesome. That's really cool. Serial killers, they're going to have a much harder time, huh? Getting away with stuff. Yeah, because when you think about it back in the 90s, because, I mean, DNA wasn't a big thing. It was, like, in the works, I believe. I mean, he's not going to carry a condom with him. He's not thinking about something like that. Heck no. Yeah, I looked up the pair bonds, though. They assisted law enforcement in making positive identification identification at astonishing rates, like more than one per week. Wow. That they're solving these cases over... That were cold for 25 years. Crazy. You that's add awesome. all the cases that they've done together, and that's like 5,000 years of investigation. Holy cow. Yeah. They topped 200 soft cases this January. That's pretty good for like three, four years, I guess, of being doing their thing. That's how long they've been up and going? It said it was founded in... 2016, but I don't think it really, really got up and going until a wow. couple of years later. Yeah. Cause, that is so cool. Yeah. And I do feel bad for the Richard Bingham guy. Oh, Gosh. yeah. Well, 13 months in jail for a crime he didn't commit. Because then, his buddies are fucking assholes. Yeah. And then he couldn't even go back to his hometown because he was scared for his life. That is sad. And I don't think he's ever been back since. Ugh. But yeah, just I'm happy that the family got to find out who did that horrible thing to their daughter, but 
just like the other ones, I doubt it was really closure. Yeah, the, they don't, the way never it played out, baby. you know, they'll never have their baby, and then you would have wanted to see a trial or something, right? Not I, see this guy take his own life. That was the easy way out. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm glad he's gone. True. Can't hurt anybody else if he takes himself out. That's true. The only good thing if he went to prison would them do things to him. But <laughs> yeah, you know. Use your imagination, folks, on that one. Right. But yeah, I feel like this happens just far too often with young, innocent girls with their whole lives ahead of them. Just hate to see it. Me too. Me that, too. That's yeah. horrible. That's it? That's it? That's it? That's it. That was a good one. That's very sad, but that was a good one. <laughs> I like how we were looking up Arkansas and you were... Clicking on that, and there's actually a Sitka, Arkansas. So we thought that was more local, and then we started looking. I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, Alaska? Well. I was oh. Like, Let's do it anyways. All right. Because we got back to Arkansas at some point, just not the whole thing. So that makes me feel better about people in Sitka, Arkansas, I guess. Well, thank you all for listening. We really do appreciate everyone that tunes in and goes on these wild rides with us. If you haven't checked us out on Instagram, it is Caught Red Podcast, spelled P-A-W-D. I like to think we have a lot of fun on there because it helps lighten the mood because, like, that was pretty dark of a case. And we're going to be covering more of those. And then we talk about things that are horror-related. And so that's pretty dark in itself. And you get to see pictures of our critters. Who doesn't want that? We have a website as well. You can hear episodes from there and make any case suggestions. We do need to work on our next blog post. It has been a hot minute. It's your turn. Get on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Life happens. This is just our little hobby, and it's just something that we get to do together. But I enjoy it, and I hope you all enjoy it. And until next time, stay local, shop local, and murder local.